0: Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance. Your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene. The voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning and welcome to Spoken Word on Community Radio 3CR. Our poetic theme for the program today is Massaging Himmler, a poetic biography of Dr. Felix Kirsten by Anne M. Carson, who's here in the studio with Julian Bailey. Welcome. Welcome to Thank Spoken you. Word. And you've just finished a 20-year project writing the story of a little-known humanitarian Dr. Felix Kirsten.
1: I guess the place to start is finding the story in an op shop sale bin 20 years ago and reading this amazing story in one gulp and being astounded at where a masseur had been taken into Nazi Germany. And um, it was a story of the remarkable training of Dr Kirsten and then him being asked to massage one of the most evil people in history, which is Heinrich Himmler. And um, at first he didn't want to use his massage skills in that particular way. This was before the war, um, but still the reputation of Himmler was known. And how was he taken into
0: Germany at the time?
1: He was actually living in Holland, but he had a practice that spanned the big European cities and he did a three-month tour in the different European cities and one of his clients was a guy who was very involved in industry. He was a potassium magnate and um, Mm. these guys, these industrialists, were very worried that the Nazi Party were going to nationalise industry and so they would lose their... Um, their businesses. And so they thought maybe we could get someone to influence the Nazi Party not to nationalise industry. And so that was the original connection. Let's see if we can get the Masur in, get him to use his leverage and get them not to nationalise industry. And the reason that um, they thought a masseur could help was that Heim- Heinrich Himmler had incredible stomach cramps that forced him unconscious, and he'd tried many different remedies and drugs and mm. quacks and doctors and surgeons to mm. um, get relief from these stomach cramps, but to no avail.
0: And what fascinated you about the theme of the the, the masseur in regards to working with, with- this person.
1: I guess it was a couple of things. I was training to be a masseur at the time, and so <laughs> I had this amazement about wow, look where massage can take you. But on a more serious note, I guess I was very interested in people who had had an impact in history, people who made a difference, people who stood for something in dark times. And he was a guy who did become a humanitarian and in that most evil of times, so that was fascinating to me.
0: And the sensitivity, too, of giving a a caring service to a person who was quite evil.
1: Yeah, there was lots of moral shades of grey, I guess you'd say. You know, it wasn't a black-and-white story at all, and that fascinated me as well. There was lots of complexity in the story. We could
0: go to an example. Julian Bailey could read the first poem...
2: Felix talks about snakes beneath the bed. Nazi headquarters, Chancellery, Berlin 1939. Think physiotherapy, massage, clinical white sheet words, washed hands, nails nicely groomed. The bed is specially made up, white sterilised towels, cotton coverlet, An anodyne atmosphere, hushed voices, healing hands, no place for passion, poison. His bed is a divan pressed up against the wall, a dark room with solid wooden furniture. Woollen blankets are brown as boot polish. Spartan, masculine, he sleeps here between duties when he cannot make it home or to his mistress. Or, when his guts are so badly spasmed, it is all he can do to stay conscious, maintain his grip on the reins of power. I don a white treatment coat, but may as well not bother for all the protection it offers. Beneath the bed is a nest of vipers, venomous, virile. They breed so quickly there are hundreds of hatchlings, scores of adults in a Medusa mess. They writhe and gripe, twine round the bed legs, slither up to me with their fangs out, tasting air. You think this is metaphor?
0: What did you learn more and more about this story?
1: Yeah, there were many fascinating dimensions. One was that these two guys, Dr Kirsten and Heinrich Himmler, seemed to have a real relationship and it was fascinating to see someone tackling this guy about the evil that the Nazis were doing and hearing Himmler's often pathetic responses to that. But hearing someone sort of come up against that Badness, that evil, and sort of saying, you know, what do you think you're doing? This is wrong.
0: So these are conversations between the masseuse and Himmler, and I imagine Himmler's in a fairly relaxed
1: that's s- right. state. Exactly. The, yeah. and that's right. Exactly. And that's sort of um, the style of the massage, meant that he would work on Himmler for some time, 30 minutes or so, and then he would take a break. And it was often in that break. Um, When Himmler had had the first round of relaxation, I guess you'd say, that um, they had these conversations. A somewhat self serving tone with Dr. Kirsten, which I didn't quite understand, it made me suspicious about him, and I, I was quite suspicious of him until I did my research. You know, it took me a while to sort of come to grips with who he was and what he was saying about himself. But I realised that part of that self-serving tone was because he was accused of collaboration at the end of the war. And that was understandable too because he was so close to those high-ranking Nazis that um, he needed to clear his name. So these, these two memoirs were part of that effort, I think.
2: Himmler's Agonia. Gestapo headquarters. Berlin, 1939. Pain dogs me down the years, past my best defences, drives me to the pain room, bolts the door. Pain takes off gloves, unsheaths a sharpened claw. When pain has finished, shame takes its place with whip and spur. Dare call yourself reichsfuhrer ss you cringing dog what kind of human lump are you
0: very short sharp and and very emotive words um this is imagining the voice of of Himmler. and what was that process like of of finding the voice of, of such a person
1: It was extremely difficult and and I sort of stopped on that threshold for, I reckon it might have been a couple of years where I just couldn't bring myself to do that. And I sort of imagined maybe I could tell the story without finding Himmler's voice. Um, I just daren't do it for for quite a while. But eventually that poem emerged um, from my grappling with it. I was grappling with all sorts of things. I was, of course, grappling with the terrible evil that he did, but I was also grappling with a new insight, for me anyway, into him that he was at least complicit with, we'll move on to talking about this, no doubt, the release of these people. So it was another side. It gave him a more rounded, bigger personality than I'd known about beforehand. So I had trouble both in daring to um, find a voice for his evilness but also then how to include his part complicity in in the release of these people and what that meant about this person.
0: So finding that um, that one example of compassion did that enable you to embrace the poetic imagination of the evil side like did it give you some balance inside your imagination? Perhaps
1: that's right. I hadn't thought of it quite like that. But yeah, that's probably a big part of it. Um, And also there's a corresponding thing of seeing that Dr. Kirsten was not a saint. He was not a purely Mm -hmm. white um, person, if you like. White isn't the right word, but he wasn't a pure person. He had Um, He was someone who loved being with the rich and famous and powerful and he really got off on that. And um, he benefited in certain ways from his association with Himmler. And I don't know whether he made money from it in particular, but he certainly got lots of business from it and he got the benefit of being involved in the power makers of the time. And that was very valuable to him. He, He enjoyed that. So there was that symmetry too that... Himmler wasn't totally dark, even though it might have only been a tiny speck, and Dr Kirsten wasn't totally um, good. I think that's true. I mean, that is my view, that we all have the potential for good and bad. That is a human, that's Mm -hmm. part of our human inheritance, and it is the choices we make, for sure. I think that's also where the episodic nature of poetry or the enclosed nature of poetry helped as well, because I could enclose some of the evilness in a single poem and, mm. and then leave it and move on to something else. Yeah. But I feel like the um, dark seam of that Nazi time has been in my psyche for, you know, the last 10 years on and off. Yeah, and that's, I think, what you do as an artist. You do hold that inside yourself and try and come to grips with it. Mm. And I guess this story has a redemption in it mm. because of the good that uh, Dr Kirsten did.
0: How do you protect yourself as, as a writer? Like, how do you take care of yourself during that process?
1: I guess all through that process, um, there was writing other poems. So there was work that was not associated with the dark story that I was looking at. And I, and I was very careful that I didn't lose my balance. I was very aware of, you know, trying to balance it with looking at the other side of life and keeping myself buoyant in in that particular way. And I think there's something too about coming to grips with the more I wrote, the more I could put it to bed. As I sort of solved the poetic challenges, it sort of, once it came into the form, then the form held it. I didn't have to hold it in the same sort of way. And I think that's one of the things about finding a form for a
2: story. Felix witnesses cowardice. On board Sonderzug Heinrich. June 1941. Never brave. Always the first to seek the security of his shelter. Once the Russian planes begin their nightly sortie and the siren starts to scream. Himmler runs helter-skelter, fear making him more ungainly than ever. No thought for the safety of his men. The ridiculous sight of his white flannel nightshirt flapping against his skinny chicken bone legs.
1: One of the things that also helped me hold the story was finding ways to ridicule and belittle Himmler um, and I think that depotentiated some of the power that he had in my own psyche.
2: Felix describes the first time he secures a release. Chancellery, Berlin, 26th of August, 1940. I actually pull it off. It happens like this. Two weeks ago, Rochtag, to whom I owe Hartzfelder, pays me a visit. Will I intervene for his factory foreman, a decent honest man imprisoned in a concentration camp for the simple sin of being a social democrat. What can I do? Even the thought of approaching Himmler with such a request scares me. Rochteg says he knows I have Himmler's ear. Perhaps I can influence him. It would be absurd, dangerous. I take the details and promptly forget about them. Two weeks later Himmler needs me for a debilitating attack, gruelling work. But one by one, with extreme exertion, I manage to undo his knots for now. Because his gut has been so twisted, he is even more grateful than usual. He says that he feels guilty for never paying me. Instinctively, I know I have an edge. If I accept money, I put myself under his control. I tell him, payment is impossible for any incomplete cure. And besides, I say, I know you are of slender means. It is a principle with me never to accept payment from poor people. I make rich clients pay for them. Never so effusive. Dear, dear Herr Kirsten, how can I ever thank you In a moment of inspiration, I recall Rostegg's request. Pulling the man's details from my wallet, I say, My fee, Reichsführer, is this man's freedom. I see him struggle, but in the end he replies, As it is you asking, of course I agree. Astounded at the leverage I have found, I leave buoyed with adrenaline burning in my veins. And as, as you
0: were writing that poem, what thought process were you imagining that Felix was having trying to get this person to release these prisoners?
1: Well, I imagine because he was so um, hesitant to approach the Reichsführer with this request, I imagine he was quite scared Um, and the stakes were pretty high. Like, he was always on a knife edge with Himmler. And even though he felt confident enough eventually to ask for this and then to build on this single release... Even though he felt that confidence, his life was in danger and every time he made that request, there was a chance that Himmler could have him killed. So I imagine it was a pretty scary sort of prospect, actually. And then once he'd had a yes from Himmler, I just felt like he must have felt, you know, on cloud nine, just so elevated to have been able to secure the release of this person.
0: And to be a misuse it's quite sensitive and, and graceful and, and there's an emotional connection between the two people, but doing such an act on a knife's edge. It's
1: yes. Great. Yes, it's a good observation. Yeah.
0: A quick word about the live poetry gigs in Melbourne. The Dan O'Connell Hotel in Carlton has poetry on every Saturday afternoon and Passionate Tongues is at the Brunswick Hotel every second Monday
1: night. Westward happens out at the Dancing Dog Cafe in Footscray
2: twice a month on Sunday afternoons. Voices in the Attic is run fortnightly on Tuesday evenings at 30 Dirk, Level 1 and 2, 239 Lonsdale Street. Melbourne Poets Union is usually on
1: the last Wednesday of the month at the Wheeler Centre.
0: All of these gigs have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work or you can just go to listen. Check out the website melbournespokenword.com to find out more about the scene. You're listening to Spoken Word on Community Radio 3CR. Massaging Himmler, a poetic biography of Dr. Felix Kirsten, written by Anne M. Carson, who's here in the studio with Julian Bailey.
2: Of the 2,700... One voice, Swiss border, March 1945. We are crammed onto trains without food or drink, frozen beneath our rags, at journey's end, desperate for release. We expect death in any guise, bullet, rope, dog, club, typhus, starvation, gas. Instead, after crossing the frontier, when the cattle truck train doors are finally opened, light floods in, dazing us. It takes our eyes an eon to adjust. Then we become dazzled anew by the pristine white of the Red Cross uniforms how far we are fallen to be devastated by the nurses tears
0: julian bailey reciting the poetry of anne carson and there's a concert coming up, which is going to combine this piano playing with the recitations. Could you give the listeners some information about that,
1: please? Sure. It's a wonderful opportunity. Julian Bailey has been playing some of these pieces for over 40 years. As we said at the beginning, I've been working on this project in various ways for over 20 years. So it's wonderful. The Rachmaninoff Preludes would work with with the poems and we had a research group or had a had an audience that came along to listen to the work and they were absolutely convinced that these two two art forms went together that they had a similar emotional register a similar matching and um so yes we're going to combine poems from the sequence with the whole set of 10 Rachmaninoff preludes on Saturday the 23rd and Sunday the 24th of July at um, 4.45 for five o'clock concert.
0: At the Junior Common Room, Queen's College, College Crescent Parkville, bookings for the event can be made at singinglogic at optusnet.com.au. Two free tickets are available by phoning 3CR 9419 three double seven how do you feel Julian with reading the poems
2: reading the poems is a wonderful thing given that I've known them now for a little over two years and uh, been very much present to the bringing to conclusion of Anne's uh, of Anne's work um, to be able to read them now is a, is a treat because of course in the concert, Uh, You don't get to hear my uh, tinny (laughs) tenor, but uh, the wonderful, uh, rich baritone tones of Yezhi Kozlovsky, who will read the poems and be the voices of these men. Um, I just get to play, but the the playing of these extraordinary pieces is a treat. Um, To be able to share a lifetime of passion, really, really. to play these pieces for people, in the context of this extraordinary story, it's a very powerful thing. It's great, great fun. It's a great challenge as a musician, as a pianist, but also just as a as a performer to have my energy and that of the poems combined. It's a very, very extraordinary experience.
0: Mm. Very much different to working to a strict metronome performance in a way, because you're bending with the performance of the writer or?
2: Very much that there's an interaction because the poems uh, are are spoken and then uh, I write, uh, I play a musical response. Uh, One of the challenges is simply a performance one in that you would normally, if you ever played these 10 preludes together, you'd play them one after the other. But I have to sit there for four or five minutes and get cold and and the pianist's fingers then have to start up again and sometimes start up at a at a, a very high rate of activity um after sitting cold for a while so there's a real challenge in that uh performance to be able to carry the music through at a technical level and also at an emotional level to meet and ru- and move with the energy of the poems themselves it's a, it's a great challenge and a very different thing from just a piano performance
0: I'd like to suggest we hear the final poem today on on unspoken word from the book by the author. Anne, if you'd like to read, please.
1: Sure. Felix at the End Musing Stockholm, 1945 Nothing stamps me more indelibly Than the welcome Erm and the boys give me when I arrive here after our nightmare journey, after I farewell Himmler for the final time. No words for my utter prostration of spirit and body. I reach my doorstep, besmirched and besmeared. For my dis-ease, I prescribe my children's raucous innocence the clean orderliness of home, the devotion and care of my wife, straight-talking simplicity. I take my own medicine. When I feel those multiple arms fold lovingly around me, grubby fingers never more welcome, I know it is finally over. The whole bizarre, grotesque six-year ordeal We will rebuild our lives, my massage practice, and Hartsvalde, most cherished world of our hearts. Now, having learned history's lesson of impermanence, adapting precepts from Dr Coe, we rebuild our heart world, not with bricks and mortar, but with help given to others with our own dearest ones at the core.
0: You've been listening to poetry from the book Massaging Himmler, a poetic biography of Dr. Felix Kirsten, written by Anne M. Carson. And thank you to our guest today, Julian Bailey, for reading the poems and whose beautiful piano playing we've been hearing throughout the program today. Thanks very much for listening and coming up next is Talk Back With Attitude.